How would you feel if you got fired by your dad? And then when you went out to get a job, he wouldn't even qualify you as a reference. Today on the show, we have someone who's going to tell her story. And she was in an industry that was run by men. She had uphill battles all the way through. And yet she managed to become a very successful writer and a producer. Stay tuned and listen to her story. Okay, Diane, uh, thank you for coming on Fishbowl. I really do appreciate it. Um, you. you know, I actually, I actually, you know, there's there are a few people out there that have like a Fishbowl podcast. I, I kind of checked into that thing. But Fishbowl for me is a metaphor of life. Uh, you know, in case you wanted to know some uh, some little detail. And life to me is like being inside of a, a fishbowl. And mm -hmm. at times life is very um, choppy. Sometimes it's smooth always changing. You got to keep moving to stay in the game, you know? So that's kind of what, what the fishbowl represents to me. It's a, it's a metaphor, at least for my life as I've lived it. And, um, but I wanted to ask you, uh, you what are you, um, the title that you give to yourself as far as what you do, what do you do for your living? I'm a television writer and producer as well as a feature film writer and producer. Okay. And how long have you been doing that? Not a really long time. I started out working for my father who was a director and did commercials and wanted to ascend in his company. And he, I would have, I would have been uh, taking his job essentially. And when he was out of town one week, I interviewed to see if I could get a job somewhere else, just to see if I was desirable at another uh, company in Hollywood. And I happened to get a job at a leading post-production facility. Mm -hmm. And I, I, my dad was so tough when he found out I was even looking, he fired me oh, wow. on the spot. Yeah. He, he was a really tough tough business person. Um, but, and so, you know, really no, nothing has been uh, tougher to me than working for my, and knowing my own father. So I quickly ascended in um, the post-production business and sound design. Um, I became the youngest sound director in the history of Hollywood when I was 25. And wow. yeah, so I, I just, I quickly, and for the number one company, Sound Deluxe, um, and then uh, their sister company, I became president of that, um, Meridian Studios. And, uh, and then another company of theirs, which we were all running simultaneously. And um, I then decided it wasn't creative enough for me. And I, I got the business side down. So I decided to become later in life a, uh, I, well, I wanted to produce. And then I found out if you produce television you need to be a writer as well. And I had always wanted to write, but I didn't think I could make a living at it. So um, I just started, I, I partnered with Reed Steiner, who became my husband. And um, we, uh, we partnered together selling concepts for shows, television shows. And, you know, we're still partners. And, um, but I'm also branching out on my own. And, and so I've set up, nine pilots for tv shows where i come up with a concept i sell the concept and then we write them and for one reason or another they haven't uh which is very common they haven't been made into television for uh you know a couple examples are uh the executive in charge loses his job or leaves the company the president leaves the company and the new president doesn't want the old president's material yeah. because they can't get the credit for it. Um, there's just always, you know, or the star falls out or it's just such a precarious game. You get paid, but, um, you know, it's just a constant grind. So now um, I and then I'm involved in a project that was um, my father's uh, uh, feature film that I, I had mentioned to you when we spoke on the phone. Um, it was remade into knock knock with keanu reeves and his movie was called death game with and eli roth did it the director and and producer and actor he was in um quentin tarantino's um 
um, movie as the bear Jew. He, he, um, I don't know if you know, um, oh my God, what was the movie? Um, <laughs> Bastards, you know, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and he was the bear Jew in that. And so anyway, he's an amazing director and producer and he and my dad really clicked and, um, he interviewed my dad for, uh, it, you know, it was to go on the, it's a two hour interview at the end of a, the Blu-ray. And my dad passed away three weeks after that unexpectedly. He was only 77, wow. huge Gold's gym guy. And like, I, I thought you might've, um, known him, uh, actually, cause he had been going there for so many years yeah. and was the longest running member there. So, um, anyway, when he passed away, I then, um, collaborated with Eli and, um, a couple other producers and, um, we came up with an agreement to, uh, present 10 remakes of the movie in foreign countries. So there, it'll be the same movie, but one in Spain and yeah. one in France, one in Italy, Germany. So I'm yeah. excited to do that. Yeah. So well, I'm a me, producer in that capacity mm -hmm. okay. and then I'll write the final. So, yeah. So I want to go back to your dad for a second here, because uh, you said that, you know, he was a tough boss and yeah. my, my, my dad was too, you know, he was very hard uh, on us. I mean, that was just the way in, you know, my dad in those days, that's the way they did stuff. I mean, I, I had to do chores at a very young age. We had a dairy business. And oh. it was like before you go to school and then after you come back to school, we're always being held accountable. But I got to tell you something. I don't know if this is how you feel now looking back. I'm glad mm -hmm. that my dad was really tough on, on us as kids mm -hmm. because it made us, it taught us how to work. And it was a life lesson because just the things that you're talking about, all those moving parts that uh, are in the line of work that you do, it's a lot of a lot of parts have to work together for a project to to come to its fruition based on mm -hmm. what I'm hearing from you. Is that correct? Oh yeah, just uh, you should get an Oscar for getting a movie made. Let you know, let alone be, it being the greatest movie that was made that year. Um, yeah. but I, so, I know what you're saying. And I, I, I think that's admirable that you would, I didn't have to get up at the crack of dawn to do my job. Um, and I don't know, I, I, my feelings would be hurt more because there was so much interaction, creative interaction with my dad yeah. where, um, the dairy business as hard as that would be the labor. It's so labor intensive. I can imagine, um, I'm not sure your feelings would get as hurt. You know? Yeah, yeah. As yeah. I mean, my feelings would get hurt, but but I, but I think the point is, uh, in a way, is that you know that's something that you had to learn to deal with. Right. To keep, to I'm keep, so strong now as a result. Right? I can I can deal with anybody, any man. I mean, they have to be. They have to watch out for me. I you know I can handle anything now as a result right. of having worked for my father. You're that, right. That's kind of what I mean. It's I, I look back yeah. now and I think I think you know he's been gone for for quite a few years, but in my head I thank him all the time because uh -huh. it was just a, a lesson. I didn't like it in the beginning. I'll tell you what I hated it, and the stuff that uh, he had us do. But I'll tell you what. At the end of the day, he did me a big favor, uh, you know, so that's kind of what it sounds like. I thought maybe you got from being in a tough situation with your dad like that. Yeah, but and look at your discipline, you know, and how hard you worked out and trained and overcome adversity. And I, yeah. I'm sure that was from your father, both oh, yeah. genetically and, and also just in terms of your environment. Yeah training huge life lesson you know we sometimes we just don't realize when we're we're actually being taught or learning a life lesson because it was so young i couldn't i couldn't even imagine that i just i disliked it too much you know because i wanted to play sports oh right and your dad has such a strong work ethic which yeah. you inherited and me too i it was our frame of reference you and i I mean, we didn't know any better i only right. knew i i had to work that hard because that's how my parents were yeah. What, what got you into that side of it? I think you said it was sound and, uh, yeah. design. Is that what you said? Sound design. So, um, you know, sound design for movies. Okay. And, um, we were, my dad and I were clients. They were doing this one company. They were, you know, one of the first, I was very young and they were one of the first all digital, uh, post-production houses and we were their clients. And, 
Um, so they were really the only um, com- other company I knew in the business besides my dad. And um, because, you know, I would bring my work to them with, or, you know, for my dad to do the sound sign on the commercials. And, um, you know, my dad did car commercials and very high end um, direct mail videos at the time for, for car companies. And then he, he would always get the cars, like he would get an Audi because he did a commercial for them. Yeah. Or So he was very entrepreneurial and I, I picked up on that. And so when I was, um, I wanted to see what my value was, which, you know, he taught me, I learned from him to do yeah. that. And so I approached the owner of the company where I was doing our sound design for the commercials. And I said, would you be interested in hiring me? Because I had learned the sales, what I was doing for my dad, in addition to um, directing when he was directing and being his assistant and, and um, he was producing and his assistant in that capacity, I was getting the business for him. I learned how to be a salesperson at a yeah. very young age. And so I would, I would cold call fortune 500 companies. And, you know, when I was, 22 years old and get my dad meetings with the senior VPs or executive vice presidents of these companies. I don't know how I look back on it. I mean, I don't know how I had the, the uh, courage to even do it, yeah. but I did. And I think I had nothing to lose is what I, what I must've been feeling. And I would get my dad these, these meetings. So, um, and that's why I wanted to start doing, taking the meetings myself. Yeah. And he's like, no, I'm doing them. Thanks. Yeah. So then I went to that post-production uh, president or owner of the company. And I said that I wanted to, I was, you know, a sales um, uh, person and I, I would master whatever they were selling. I didn't know a lot about it, but I could do it. And he believed me. And the day my dad fired me, when he, because they they called my dad as a, for a job reference, and that's when he fired me. When he heard that I was looking, I hadn't even taken the job, wow. and yeah, and so mm-hmm. I sold my car when he fired me, and I went to Hawaii, and I hadn't gotten the job yet. I was just like, fuck it, you know, excuse my language, no, excuse my Italian. I'm in Italy no, right now. No, um, and so um, I um, I just went to Hawaii, and I got a message on my um, answering machine that I had gotten the job and they were paying great. And I just was, and you know, my dad never really got over that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It put a strain on our relate. He, he kind of, he's from Boston. I don't know where, you, where your family is from, like Wisconsin or. No, my family was from uh, California. My great grand or my uh, grandparents came from uh, the islands in Portugal. Oh, but my, wow. my, my parents were actually born here, but uh hmm. Yeah, so, so California farm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and I can tell you this, I I, I can relate to your uh, your relationship and hurt feelings with your dad because my dad and I crossed. You know, when I left the dairy business, that was a no no in my culture. So, holy shit! Yeah. You had to follow uh, it, family. Yeah, business. it was it was supposed to be left to me. I mean, even when I went to college, I was like, my uncles were telling my dad, "Don't let that kid go away to college because you're gonna lose him." You know, oh, wow. oh yeah. So I was like a black sheep, you know. So I, I feel, yeah, I feel you a little bit because of that stuff that you're telling me. And there was just something, um, you know, there was just I wasn't sure, but there was something inside of me that just told me I should go in that direction, even as as much as it hurt, because you know you like mm. to have a good relationship with your dad and your right. mom, right? So it's it's difficult to do something like that. You really had to believe in yourself. Yes, exactly. And look at what you became. You, and you just had to break away from, yeah. from what was familiar. And, and, and it is scary. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and, and, and my dad, though, had this kind of mobster mentality being from Boston is yeah. where I was going with that. Yeah. And I even with me, there was this like sense of disloyalty. We, um, we didn't work together again. Now we're working together, ironically, but he's no longer on the planet, but I am right. working on movies and, and channeling what he would want. Yeah. Um, and I'm also writing a script about his experience when he made the, the movie that, that we're remaking. And because it's about our relationship, because he was such a transactional man. And, um, but with me, I, he was more human, but but once I left him, yeah, it never really was quite the same, but, um, but at the end it was, 
Yeah. And yeah, at the end, we, we, uh, he always cared and he always was, you know, supportive and there for me. But um, I don't think he was truly happy for my own. He was happy that I was safe, but not really happy that I was, I was happy without him. Let's say working with him. Yeah. So do you think that was kind of similar to like my situation was like, okay, I'm giving this to you to take it from here. The next generation, it kind of almost sounds that way, you know, now, yeah, I, but I got to, I got to, I got to tell you something about my dad to give him credit. You know, he always wanted me, see, my dad never got the chance to go play sports because my, his dad made him work on that dairy and wouldn't let him participate in sports. So credit to my dad because he actually supported me. And he said, look, the most important thing for me is that if you're happy, I'm happy. So, you know, he didn't, he's not the one that made me feel guilty. I mean, that wasn't the issue. It was just everybody else in the family. There was a lot of pressure and things like that. But, you know, something at the end of all this, uh, it, it works out. And, uh, you know, it just, it's just the way it was during those days. Uh, I wanted to ask you now, you know, one of the things that uh, I was asked quite a bit in the beginning was, especially back in when I first started doing personal training in the early 80s or 82, I think it was, no mm-hmm. one was doing that in my area. I mean, L.A. and San Francisco, some of the bigger cities, you know, you could find a personal trainer. But I was hearing a lot of, why don't you get a normal job, um, you know, instead of this whatever you think that you want to do, Um as a writer in the the industry that you're in, it almost seems like, to, from my perspective, that you don't really have a normal job either, do you? No, and um, I had done so well in post production so fast, so quickly. I s- assumed it would be the same mm-hmm. as a writer because I was still in the business now, and I had made so many you know friends, and um, and so being a writer is, you know, self-motivating and you're an independent contractor and, and it's all on your shoulders and yeah. everything is subjective. It's, there is no right way cause it's art. And, yeah. um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it, it, uh, it is a little, um, it's not your normal kind of job, but, but like you, you have to do what you love. And, right. and I find, you know, I like to produce now even more than I, I like to write, but I do like to be in control of the material creatively. Yeah. So yeah. that's why I like to partner with someone else when I write. Yeah. So, so does a producer have more control then if, if I'm understanding you than a writer? Um, well, I like to, well, the, the producer, yeah, the producer does have more control, um, in making decisions, final decisions, they hire the writers generally. And then the director ultimately just how the guilds, the unions are set up, the, the director has final say, yeah. um, but not over the studio unless the director and the studio have a site agreement, but um, whoever's financing it generally has the final say, but I like to write because even though the producer has final say the writer, I can control um, the narrative Mm -hmm. to put it that way, you know, um, how it's, how it's being presented and the ideas just from a creative standpoint, because there's something inside of me that wants to express a certain, um, perspective, let's say on a situation, an emotional situation. Um, yeah. Or just whatever the story is about, or maybe it's a crime and, you know, a, a crime that can affect so many people. And, you know, I really, I do like to write things that um, have a moral without it being, I like to write taboo things that are taboo, but also that teach a certain kind of um, social awareness yeah. But nothing, nothing like too on the nose, but something yeah. like that. As a, a writer, bit. so as a writer, you have this uh, concept that you come up with that you're going to write something. Now, it sounds to me like you then at that point, once you come up with this concept, it's almost like you're pitching what you're writing to different uh, producers or directors. Is that right? So in television, um, it goes a, a couple different ways. So I, nobody had ever done a television show about West Point Academy, as an example, the military academy. And I had been there um, and was really impressed 
first of all, it's an incredible place. It's so beautiful on the Hudson River. And it was discovered by George Washington and in the, in the late 1700s. And then Tom, Thomas Jefferson, there's so much history, made it an academy um, where students are paid to attend. They get $100,000 when they graduate. It's just a very, and they teach leadership. It's, it's not about how to go to war. It's about how to be a leader. So yeah. many of our uh, top companies, whether it's Johnson & Johnson or Coca-Cola or Twitter, the CFO of Twitter, they, they're graduates of West yeah. Point. And so as an example, I went there and decided that there should be a TV show about this place for a number of reasons I won't bore you with right now. But And military shows are the number one selling shows um, for the internet, for, for uh, uh, networks, broadcast yeah. networks. So, so I took this concept as a producer and, and to sell and now needed to present it as a writer and went to align a, a, a with um, uh, some political people involved because West Point would never agree to uh, they haven't in 60 years allowed anyone to shoot on campus. And I, yeah. I got some very, uh, I got the Pentagon involved, basically. Yeah. And so um, we have uh, full access that's never been, unpre it's unprecedented access. And now we're going to um, producers who have what's called uh, pod deals. So they are already getting paid by, let's say, Netflix or CBS, they have these overall deals, multi-million dollar deals. And you go to them because they have, they've won Emmys or they've had um, extensive track records and they're already being paid. So the network is, is, is thinking, you know, let's go with the person we're already paying. Then someone new who's coming in, though I've done that many times too, but for a project like this one, which we're about to go out with, we're going to align with a more prominent uh, producer with a big overall deal so that uh, it can just be, be hit a home run. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes I, I, cause I like watching interviews with different people from different walks of industry. I'm always fascinated by their process, by to, to which they get to, to, uh, to their mm -hmm. result. And so, sometimes what I've heard from a lot of actors is that they immerse themselves in the character. When you're writing a concept, and let's just say, like in this case, do you immerse yourself into that uh, that script by going to, like in this example, going to um, West Point? Do you get into it to that degree? Um, and does that make a difference in, in how things turn out sometimes? And that's a great question. I Every project is different, and but I, am, I do find a a part of myself in every project. And I'm motivated to do a project for different reasons. Like this one, I was feeling we were having, you know, it was during the um, uh, Trump administration. And I was so frustrated with the, by the contentious, uh, um, the battle that was this, this, this war the, 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 you know, that we all were sharing with, against one another in America. And I was trying to find a common, um, place for us that where we could, you know, we, we need to all, you know, defend ourselves, defend America and, and be um, follow leaders, not followers. And so from that standpoint, that was my in, inspiration for wanting to go to West Point. And, and, and I never found a general there, there who was um, uh, political. They were all just very patriotic. And that's what I loved is that no one was a Republican or a Democrat. They might be, but they don't express those um, opinions at, at, you know, in their jobs, they just yeah. wanted their Americans. And so, um, so from that standpoint, I was, I was, I had this desire. And then there are, are lead characters in that show um, because it's about college kids, um, there's a couple female characters that I identify with and male characters. So I just take parts of my own life that I've experienced yeah. and I transfer some of that onto those characters. The other shows that I've developed um, definitely have, I'm, I'm a stronger person. I'm a stronger woman than um, a conventional, like, you know, like feminine, um, you know, just a woman who I'm a, I'm a very type a 
um, kind of alpha woman. And so I can write female cop stories, for example. Um, you know, and, and, and women who are fearless, I, cause I really, I, I don't have a lot of fear. I'm very sensitive, but I don't have a lot of fear. So I try to put that in my characters too. And I, so I can easily write male characters as well, but yeah, everything I write, I do identify with personally for the most part, for some reason, at whatever point in my life I do. Yeah. The, uh, let me ask you this, when you write something and then you pitch it to someone, have you ever walked away and said, you know, even though that uh, producer or director accepted my script, there's just something that doesn't feel right about this situation and you pull it or do you take the first offer Oh, actually, that kind of did happen recently with a company that was interested in the West Point project. I felt that they have the money to um, to make it, but mm-hmm. I didn't think they had the experience because they were backed by a very wealthy person and they're a new company. And I did yeah. not think they had the experience to um, the bandwidth to present it properly and it could get lost because when somebody buys it and if, if a network doesn't take it, if a studio buys it or somebody finances it and the network decides not to take it or they don't do a good job developing it, the yeah. studio, the finisher, you're screwed. You've lost yeah. your project. And this is such a big one for me that I, um, I, I, I decided I, I didn't want to work with them and it was, it became a mutual thing, but it wasn't, until after they had expressed, uh, they wanted a, um, so this is where the producer hat came in. They they wanted a, a proposal, how we would collaborate, who would get final say and what, yeah. because we're bringing in West Point. And then let's say they're not happy with the script. Is West Point not going to continue working with them when we're the conduit to West yeah. Point? So I just decided, you know, I'll put a proposal together and then um, use that proposal to get another company later that I do yeah. want to work with. Yeah. And then, you know, a bird in the hand. And so, you know, people always want to have uh, something someone else has. Yeah. So the fact that this other company, which was so, um, uh, you know, solvent, wanted a, uh, wanted the, pro- was interested in the project only helped me. And then we just kind of parted ways. So that's the only time other than that. You no, know, I'm super excited when we do um, projects. Um, I've, I've generally loved everybody that we've collaborated with every studio I've worked with, whether it's universal or USA, um, NBC, uh, uh, A&E, I'm, I've, I've always welcomed other people's ideas. I think that, um, I love to collaborate. I've never been one of those people who hate development. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, because the reason why I'm asking this is because, you know, I would imagine, again, I'm just, um, you know, I, I don't know. That's the reason why I'm assuming that if you're that type of person that says uh, to a producer or to a company like that and you say, no, I wonder how long, I wonder if that starts uh, creating a bad rap for you. Like, oh, you don't want to deal, because I, I, I would think like in the bodybuilding industry, it's a small world, actually. And people, they gets around, you know, oh, yeah, you work with her and she's like, she's a nightmare. Oh, no, I mean, I don't, I think it's all um, perception and how you present it. I created yeah. a situation in that scenario where, you know, it's, I don't control the military. So, uh, you know, I, it's, I can only do so much. And if they're not happy with how things go, it's not my fault um, for the buyer. So I can only present it in a certain way. So no, I mean, yeah, if I was, if I were to take a a negative tone, um, but I was just, I was, I'm always very congenial and, and I try never to, it's never a personal thing. I don't, I've ever had an experience with anyone where um, they've said that there was a problem Uh, in any way. Yeah. Well, I get the sense from you that you are, you know, you are open-minded because, you know, someone like myself, for example, I think sometimes I'm pretty stubborn and pretty close-minded. And I could see that maybe I could uh, maybe take, get that rap, you know. But I get, yeah. this, I get that sense that there's a way, and I've learned that. There's some people that I've learned from, they have a way of being able to be to, to where they, 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 they stand for what they believe in. But mm-hmm. it's not 
that they do it in a way that shuts everybody down. They do it in a way that keeps the narrative and the conversation going. And I get that sense about you. That's the reason why I was asking that. Well, thank you. But I have to say, I wish I were better at that. Um, what I do, and I'm, cause I'm not as, I'm a very honest person. My partner will tell you that I'm a truth savant. And so I always have to say the truth. And so, but what I, in the, in the situation when we're being employed by someone, I, have said, okay, you know, if they want us to do something, I don't think will work. And um, I will generally offer my opinion, but I will always do what they want. Ultimately, if they're paying me, they're my boss. Mm -hmm. And so I have had a situation where, um, like at USA, the network, they wanted us to, to write it a certain way. We said, if you do it like this, I forget exactly what it was, but then this won't work out. And they're like, just do it. And we're like, okay, we did it. And they said, you know what? You're right. You were right. It didn't work out. It's not as good as if we had done it the way you had suggested, we're going to pay you extra. They gave us a really nice extra amount of money because yeah. they were wrong. Yeah. And that, and that I've told people that story and I guess that's kind of unusual, but I think it was because that they would pay. Um, after, you know, uh, having us do it their way, but I don't know, it was, it worked out. So, well, uh, they happen to be fair-minded about that as well, you know, so that, that kind of works. How long does it generally, I mean, maybe there's just an average that you can give me, but when you start your script that you come up with as a writer, how long mm -hmm. does it take if that in the, in the, uh, how long does it take to get from the writer to an end project? Because I'm trying to, to get a sense okay. of, you know, this is sometimes people don't understand, like in my sport bodybuilding, they just think they look at the finished product and they're going, oh, my God, you know. And then when you tell them it takes, uh, you know, for a, a competitive bodybuilder, it's usually about 12 years before you can actually stand on a on a competitive stage. And, and they can't understand that, you know, just like some people might say, oh, how hard can that be? That's because I heard that, too. How hard can this be for you to create that kind of physique to get up on? Why does it take so damn long? So. My question again, how long does it take for this process for you to have for it to happen for you? Well, you know, the buying process. So there's the part where you come up with the concept and then you present it from the time that someone agrees. So a network, uh, I'll use USA again as an example. So they would, let's say, buy um there's a buying season and they're looking for, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was H8 shows and they were going to pick up i think two out of the eight shows that they developed so you're competing with if you know seven other projects and or i guess six if they're taking two and you want to make yours the best yeah. and so they from the they give you they, they, you give them uh, an outline of the show, which takes a few weeks. They give you a few weeks and they pay you proportionately, you know, uh -huh. like 10% you know, deposit, 20% upon turning in the outline on right. um, 30% uh, more after turning in or 40% more after turning in the script. And then you do a rewrite. So then when they're done with that, which is, I think about, you know, two weeks, uh, two months, sorry. Then, um, then they, then the head of the company, the very head of universal, cause they own USA, the head, the one who oversees everything, she, on um, in her case, I think it's still Bonnie Hammer. She would, uh, she read ours, our last one. And the president said it was his favorite of all the scripts. And, um, he was really sure that this was going to move forward. Well, she had come from a marketing background and not necessarily a creative development background, but marketing. She descended in the company in marketing. And she said, I can't see it on a bus poster. And so I can't take this script. And um, even if it was going to be the best show, she just couldn't see it on a bus poster. No. So, you know, um, so that, I don't know, I can't tell you how long it takes to actually become like um, successful and have a hit TV show on, on the air. But I mean, the process from the time you sell a concept till it gets either, and then when they, let's say she, she had taken it, they would have shot the pilot, they would have cast a pilot, shot the pilot, then they would test it. And if it did well, they would order 
not, you know, eight episodes after that, or uh, however many that they thought. Sometimes they'll do a straight to series order based on a script, yeah. but it's very rare, very rare. And, um, uh, but it depends on how the pilot turns out. So, so my show could have gone, you know, and gotten shot one episode of it. And if it didn't test well, they would never have ordered more episodes. And that yeah. happens a lot, yeah. a lot. This, this, I would say, I could be wrong about this because um, it was a while ago since I heard this figure, but um, and I'm, I try not to get caught up with the figures and just try to do a, a good job with, with what I'm doing and not the statistics. But um, I think it's like a hundred shows like per season that are uh, that they buy, not shows, but concepts that they buy and, and develop and, and, and then it gets reduced down to a certain number that a, end up on there. So as somebody who is, a, I want to get into the producing side of it as well, but I'm just really, really curious about this. Someone who's getting in on the, on the writing, uh, you know, coming in on that area, I would think that based on what you just said, that you would have to have a lot of different scripts that were out there floating around. I mean, you're only going to get paid so much for a script that you, it could be just for a couple of, episodes if i'm hearing this right i'm thinking okay how do you make it in this industry if that if you're having to wait that long for something to possibly really work out for you unless you're That's doing their own show so what i didn't tell you is the reason i was trying to sell my own shows was because as a woman when i first was trying to get jobs nobody would hire me it's only now that they're starting to hire women for as to give them jobs as yeah. writers on TV shows. And it was very difficult for me to get a job. And what a, a writer starting out would do and does is they write a couple scripts as samples of their work. And then people who have TV shows, like as an executive producer of my shows, let's say I would read their material and say, I want them to be a writer on my show because you're looking to get, let's say, eight writers and they sit in a room and they brainstorm ideas for each episode and write it on the board. And every, every show that I sell, I'm an executive producer on, by the way. So that was, I, that was my solution to not being hired. I was going to hire myself. So I was like, I got to come up with an idea for a show that's going to sell so I can hire myself because nobody's giving me a job. And I was, you know, younger at the time and um, nobody that was mostly men. All, usually all men and their wives didn't want their husbands or boyfriends, whatever, working with a woman, you know, all day long in a room. Yeah, That was something that, that, and the men didn't want to have to deal with that. They didn't want to have to go home and deal with their wives. Right. Who were right. Tough, you know, why, why, why is she? And so, so it was tough. And so, but that's what a writer does. Generally they, they write scripts to get jobs. I just decided to take a different route. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, you can get paid per script and then there's like some producing fees, you know, I think on the USA one, it was like 200,000. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you're not starving, yeah. um, but it's it when you get, but it's worth it because the risk is it, the benefit outweighs the risk so much. Yeah. You can make millions and millions of dollars when you yeah. have a, a successful show. Yeah. Yeah. Risk and reward. That's always, uh, that's always in play. You know, one of the things I like hearing, uh, from you, because a part of my business that I, I, I do now is I'm a life coach advocate for people. And I basically, I deal with people who are trying to overcome anything from anxiety to insecurity. It could be anything that's that you perceive as an obstacle. And, you know, one of the things that you're talking about is that you go into, okay, I have this, there's an obstacle is that, there's no, it's all mainly men running the show and that's mm -hmm. keeping me from being hired. And what you are going and did and went into was you took that obstacle and you turned it into a solution, you know, mm -hmm. uh, then I'll just be the executive. I mean, you know that, and I think that's just a really important lesson to learn because that way, at least, you know, you're going to take some, uh, control over the situation. It doesn't, uh, certainly doesn't, um, assure you that you're going to be successful, but it just gives you a better chance. You know, we talk in, in athletics, it's like, you want to put the athlete that you're training. If you're training an athlete for a specific sport in a position, all you can do is as a trainer is put that athlete in the best position to excel. And that kind of sounds like what you're doing 
when you make those kinds of decisions. Yeah. And I feel like if I didn't have a positive response to my ideas, because that's really what's selling and they can't, it, I could be, you know, an extraterrestrial that walked in there because all they care about is money, making yeah. money. Yeah. They might preach other things like, oh, we want, you know, equality or yeah. inclusion or whatever. Really, it's about money. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what my sexual orientation, my gender, nothing. And it doesn't matter if they like your ideas. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying my ideas are better than, you know, so many successful writers uh, who are, who have amazing ideas, but they were good enough to want to buy. Yeah. And, and so that, and each time that happened, it reinforced in me, okay, I, I can be, I can do something here. I can create a niche for myself with yeah. my ideas and my sales ability. So, which I learned from my dad yeah. and um, you know, that's, that's part of it. That's yeah. Part of it. You know, the, it's just like in, in my uh, business, especially when I first was uh, becoming a personal trainer, I had to learn how to wear a lot of hats. You know, it, it sounds like you do the <laughs> same thing. I had to be the trainer. I had to be a psychologist to get that person to perform on a long-term basis. Right. You know what I mean? To right. get the most out of that person. Because yeah. in my, in my industry, it still blows me away that I, you know, I'm, I'm always frustrated by why people quit on themselves, you know? In some cases, they just self-sabotage. It just blows yeah. my mind. Well, that's part of the hat that I got to wear to to make. But the point is this. You have to wear a lot of hats in an industry uh, to make this thing work. It's a, it's a shitload of work that you're doing that most people have no concept of the, the but you know uh, of what you put into it but you know what it's always like that it's always it's like very that political. i mean it's very political in that like you had originally touched on you know to to not always um to not overreact to not be a control freak to not say it has and you always have to say you know yes i mean i i fortunately had this attitude of the customer is always right. And it's so important. And when I work with other writers, because now I'm executive producing a project with the, I'm not writing. Um, I'm overseeing the project to get it to a pitching point where yeah. it can be pitched and it already is a script. And I'm working with this established writer who's amazing. He's so much better than I would have been in taking notes and doing what other people want him to do. And just all the time reinventing the project and not saying, and just like, no problem. No problem. Going back to the drawing board a thousand times speculatively is not being paid, you know, cause that's how our business is. You do things yeah. on spec until you get paid. And um, yeah, I, I, it, in that regard, it, it's, I can, I can definitely see what you're saying, but for you with training to, I just know for myself is having a trainer sometimes, um, you know, that psychologically, like, yeah, you have to be that psychologist yeah. for you because yeah. I will, I will tell my trainer uh, my problems you yeah. know, whatever they are, That's my true. concerns, my, if I'm upset that day, you right. know, I have a hard time, you know, it's like, yeah. and they, they, you become the psychologist to yeah. your clients. Yeah. Sure. You know, and then of course and we confidant, have. And confidant, you can't true. reveal anything they're telling you. That's you right. Professor. Yeah. Like you know, Dennis. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, and then of course you have to learn how to market yourself. I mean, and look, I, I still believe this in, in uh, very much and even more so now, you know, my dad used to say it, uh, he said it and it says, son, it's hard to replace firsthand experience. I talk about this all the time on a lot of podcasts. Albert Einstein said it, he said, true knowledge is through experience. And the bottom line is that there's no better way than learning your craft than to learn it from first-hand experience, you know, because if you don't, you there's a lot of stuff that you really don't understand, and but when you learn uh, through first-hand experience, it's going to take longer. But I think you're the end game. I think you're when you really like with me. I I'm really big on knowing things to the nth degree, being able to produce a result pretty much at will. Well, hell, that shit doesn't just happen. You know, yeah. there's a lot of failing and there's a lot of, uh, the, you know, this is the kind of stuff that a lot of people just don't realize what the kind of stuff that you have to go through. I'm not feeling sorry for you. I'm just pr pr <laughs> pointing out something that. Trial and error. And then yeah. life 
experience a lot of a lot of failure and you have to learn how to how to take failure and spin it on its head and make it something that actually works for you to get um to get success and And look at you know the entertainment business there's so much rejection you know i never would want to be an actor imagine the amount of rejection you get as an actor awful and yeah just and so that's when you have to learn to take that rejection and like you said you know i could i could definitely see your life experience how it helps you achieve and be everything that you are right now because and it may look like in a split a split second you're thinking of something but it's it's so many um years that went into that split second um decision yeah, experience. And sure. then, and then I think so many things like in my industry, it's a relates to. I just created a project for weight loss, and the thing about it is the things that we have to do as a bodybuilder is so counterintuitive to what you think that you should do. It's hard to trust that process unless you, in fact, are going through that yourself. Like when I'm telling somebody that I want you to increase your caloric intake to lose weight, what the fuck mm-hmm. are you talking about? You know, what do you mean? I'm trust you. Yeah. So if you don't your metabolism, is that why? Yeah, it's a it's a way to lose so much weight on this trip. (laughs) That's the because I've been eating so many cookies. So okay, that's no. It's just you know, there's there's things that you can do. The point is this: it's just having that knowledge to the nth degree to understand that, and then to trust it. That you have to. I keep telling my the people that really want to take to the next step because I turn away most people because you have to have proper mindset in order to be able to do anything that's difficult. Okay. Whether mm-hmm. it's a, uh, you know, losing weight or doing the stuff that you're doing, you have to have the right mindset. And I tell them, if you cannot, if you cannot trust the process, you can't do this program. I assure you that you're only going to be disappointed unless mm-hmm. you have that, you know, you're willing to go through that process. And the, you know, lo and behold, when all of a sudden it works as a bodybuilder, it's like, I saw it work for me. That gives you confidence. Uh, to understand how to translate that to somebody else. Uh, again, I'm just getting back to first-hand experience. Confidence is the like, key. Confidence yeah. is the key. You're right. Yeah. And I heard somebody say one time on, on uh, television, it was on uh, tennis. I like watching uh, pro tennis. And they said, mm-hmm. so many times confidence is actually more important than experience, even though that experience is, is uh, really important to have. But if you're not confident, well, there you go. Yeah, you you know you got you got to have all these things that are that are working for you, but you got to put up with a lot of defeat and failure. Period. Yes, I think that's the main um, uh, the main thing that I've noticed in successful people in in my business anyway is that level of confidence, even though um, they may not be cocky, like writers are often shy um, or self-deprecating i should say but still their belief in in themselves yeah propels it, it enables them to continue propelling forward and yeah. and having conviction in in their work and you're right that is the most important and i think most um most common thread in su- success successful people is that yeah. that confidence yeah and bravery i think bravery yeah you know to take that, to lean in and just go for it. Yeah. And you have to have a short memory. You know, if something, yeah. if, if you go down, if you get knocked down, you got to, and yet how many of us, I've done it when I was younger, I obsessed with something that was, I shouldn't have been mm-hmm. obsessing about. I should take that negative thing that happened to me, uh, deal with it very quickly and, and then have a short memory and move forward. And that's, yeah. I think that's all life is because in my mind, life is a struggle. It's always going to be a struggle. And the minute it's not, then you're either, you're either growing or you're dying uh, in my opinion, you know, so as yeah. long as, as long as you're out there hanging it out there, you got to put up with all this stuff. And I think that's true about having a short memory. And my, my hurdle has been, what if, what if this happens or what yeah. if that happens and what if they don't like this, but then what if, and you have to overcome that too. That's another stumbling block and, and just listen to your instincts and, and just, you know, put the, your blinders on and not constantly think of the what ifs because anything you with the world, like with COVID or with anything that was happening and you're like, well, what if and we were starting to just see such unbelievable things happen it, that 
other things could enter our minds. Oh, well, then what if this happens? And what, if, you know, and everything collapses or, you know, and yeah. so you just have to stay, stay, have faith. I think faith is important. Well, and, yeah. And the thing about it is too, listen, in, in order for you, this is a, I got into stoicism um, and it's been a, a huge, um, um, uh, positive things I've gotten into. But one of the things that they talk about, and I've done this just just naturally over the years in sport, is they say you have to, before you're going like into a game, for example, you have to play out every scenario potentially that could happen in that game. That includes negative things happening as well as positive things happening. Because if you can deal with that, not obsessed with that, but if you can address that, and understand that, that you're ahead of the game, and well, because bad plan, stuff is going to happen. Yeah, to you. plan for the worst, for hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Exactly. Yeah, but also in a sales presentation, like for a television show, a pitch, I always anticipate negative reactions. Like, what if you know, not negative reactions, but negative, not just more questions. Yeah. I try to anticipate every question that someone could have. Um, or if, if, uh, you're waiting for a call back and they, and you know, they're going to say, you know, there's one thing we're concerned about. Yeah, yeah. So I anticipate those things. So yeah. I can just like, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause here's how we're going to handle that. It puts you and, in a very strong position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And your book, uh, I'm looking forward to, to reading that as well. Oh yeah. I'm going to get that to you now. Um, uh, as it relates to producing now, you said you really want to get on to, on that side of it. Uh, do you have anything that you, uh, maybe you said that in the beginning of the show that you are producing and um, how is that going for you? And are, what kind of, uh, is there a certain genre that you want to focus on or just something that just, uh, that just, uh, I don't know, that just says something to you on the inside? So every project that I write, I produce as a television writer. Um, I'm an executive producer on everything that I'm working okay. that I've told you about. Yeah. Um, and uh, as far as feature films go, like when you and I briefly spoke about your book, um, I could see that as a Netflix movie. Uh, and and so my background and, and like what this project that I'm, I was telling about that is uh, the remakes, you know, with my dad's yeah. uh, film that was remade into Knock Knock with Anna Darmus and Keanu Reeves and um, Lorenzo Dizzo um, that Eli Roth did. And now we're going to, I'm going to be an executive producer on uh, 10 remakes uh, in foreign countries with that. Yeah. So, um and I've been told I'll be working my butt off. So I think they'll have me producing too, but I, we're not sure what that, what that deal is going to look like. So executive producing is kind of like you're over, over all of it, seeing, overseeing everything and, you know, getting directors together and, and um, writers and all the, the below the line, they call it people, which are the, you know, whether it's wardrobe, you know, but each yeah. country is going to be different. So they, they may have someone in each country handling all of that. But but you look at the the money, you know, you oversee all that, make sure that's being spent the way it should be. Yeah. Um, and producing is more the day to day, as far as movies go, that you would be involved. I don't really, so I don't really, and that's what I have done too. By the way, I was involved. We did SWAT for Netflix. I did um, a. Uh, uh, a movie called SWAT Firefight and with Neil Moritz who did the original SWAT um, and not, this isn't the TV show that Sean Ryan does. No, that's a great, great show. And Sean Ryan's a very good friend of ours. Um, but uh, um, you know, I did that and I did, I executive produced a movie, original movie for Showtime. Um, so it's not like I want to get into producing. I'm already producing yeah. and I'm okay. kind of just a natural producer. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I tell you what, it, uh, like anything else, it sounds like you have to, um, you know, this has to be something you have passion for just like, uh, and that, that was one of the things that turned my life around because I, I got, I wanted to be a professional, uh, football player. 
I ended up getting hurt in college, and I used my injury as a way to say, well, maybe this was a sign for me. What I didn't know is the effects of giving up on yourself when you have to look yourself in the mirror and you're wondering, why the hell am I so unhappy? And it was obvious that what I did is I shortchanged myself. That didn't mean that if I just would have kept on going that I would have made it, but it's just that I stopped before that and I used an injury as an excuse. And I made a promise to myself after that happened. This was in college. I'm back on the dairy. Mm-hmm. It was, the dairy wasn't in my blood. It wasn't. Yeah. A, it wasn't passionate. I wasn't passionate about it on any level. I was so miserable in those days, and that the only way that I could deal with this was to tell myself if I ever get a chance to do something that I have passion for, that I have that buzz for, I will not question that. Right, and that, not to undervalue yourself. Yeah, and and what I did is when I went out and left the dairy trying to be a, a personal trainer in 82 when no one knew what that was. Right. It didn't matter to me. I was scared shitless. I'll be honest with you, but the, 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 I did not ever want to be that unhappy again. And that was the best did thing. You I, find that were open to it. What's that? When you, you know, did you find, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but did you no. find that there were people who, uh, because it was so rare to, that personal training was so rare. Did you find that you were in high demand in a no. short amount of time? No, <laughs> no okay. because they, my, in my t- town, they didn't even know what the hell a personal trainer was. They thought I was a aerobics instructor. So, <laughs> right. so there's my obstacle, you <laughs> right. know, so I had to go in solution mode. So I just, what I did, I started educating people as to the reason why they needed me. I went to service centers and, you know, like the Kiwanis's and rotaries of the world and and keep in mind, which is hard to believe now, in '82, women didn't like didn't want to go to gyms and, and weight train because they thought they were going to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is a misconception. But Sports Connection, do you remember Sports Connection? Yes, I in do. Santa Monica, that's yeah. where my first job was. Okay. Yeah. Sports yeah. Nation, all those guys, and that and it was in, actually in that year. Yeah, yeah. So it was uh, I had a up, uphill uh, battle, uh, especially in the beginning. But I got to say something, Diane. I was never happier. And, mm-hmm. you know, looking back now, after I'm in, been in the business now for 40, 40 years, um, it's the best thing that I ever did. And I've never been more scared out of my damn mind. But, you know, that, that goes to show you when you that passion that you have will overcome a lot of obstacles if you really are sincere to that passion, in my mind. I agree. I agree. And um, again, faith, just, you know, and if it's not working, then to be adaptable. Yeah. As well. And that's hard too. People hate change, you know, yeah. and we hate change. And that's, a you know, you're constantly overcoming things like that. And that's, like I said, people don't have, sometimes people don't really understand for those of people that end up making it to some degree, they have no idea how many obstacles they keep jumping over on a regular basis to get to that point. It's a part of that process, in other words. And also when you're presented with choices, not that it's like, oh, do I want to make a million dollars or two million? It's not the, that kind of choice. It's more right. like, you know, you can't predict which path is going to be the best and you're presented with two options, let's right. say. Um, I, and I don't know if this goes for everyone. I, I feel kind of lucky in that I, I pay attention to signs that occur in my life and I kind of lean toward the one that, feels right because there's been more like um, coincidences surrounding it, or it's just, it seems like um, certain aspects of it philosophically resonate with me. You know what I mean? And so that's making choices. Those, those choices when you don't have a lot more to go on than that. Yeah. And what you yeah, and what you have to really believe, because most in, in so many t- instances, your intuition and your instinctiveness is is the correct path, but it's not the one that's the safest or it feels like it's the safest. That's right. That's right. right. Doesn't feel like the safest. That's it. Can be scary. It can be scary. Anyway, hey, well, listen. Um, you, it's, it was delightful meeting you. Uh, thank you for coming on. I mean, I've I've uh, I've never really gotten into any kind of a conversation with somebody who's uh, started where you have and that process. So I learned a little bit today, and I appreciate that. And I hope that, uh, hey, listen, uh, all I want you to do is is, uh, make me a promise, and I'm going to make you feel guilty if you don't do it. 
So okay. don't worry about that. It's a Portuguese enemy. We got to make you feel guilty. Uh, yeah. Whenever you produce a movie that hits it uh, somewhere, Netflix, wherever, uh, why don't you come back and talk uh, talk about it on uh, another podcast? Are you kidding? I, I'll have you to any screening we have or awesome. opening. Yeah. Like I would you know, love that. Have to yeah. stay in touch. That would be the second time I do this because I trained Kevin Costner a thousand years ago, and wow. I got on that that little tour bus with uh, screenings and all that kind of stuff. That was an eye opener and some of the the funnest times that I had as a personal trainer. So oh, you, that's so great. So and I'll be looking great. forward to doing the same thing with you and going to those uh, you know little premiere secret Thank premieres. You. I hope you touch my career the way you touched his. So good. <laughs> anyway, hopefully I'll take it. Uh, are you? Are you know, are, yeah, you're welcome. Are you in Italy? I am. Right I'm in Milan right now, and I know you're play. What city are you? Is your uh, new play? It's called uh, Corsagna. It's a it's a small village, and uh, it's near some maybe a part of it. It's in the Tuscan Valley, mm-hmm. uh, and it's uh, but it's Luca. Have you heard of Luca? No, I mean I know Florence. Oh, it's, a, um, it's an hour from Florence. It's okay. in it's in central part of Italy, so mm-hmm. I'm in between kind of uh, Pisa, you know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Yeah. Okay, I'm in between mm-hmm. that. That's a like eighty eight thousand people, and then over here you have Florence, and Luca. I mean, is eighty eight about ninety thousand people. Uh, the town that I live in, there's six hundred people. <laughs> so, wow, that's my dream. You know what that's I mean? That's my dream. Like after all this hard work that yeah. we've done, yeah. I'm ready for that. Exactly. Nice. Yeah, so uh, one of these days, maybe we'll, uh, you know, run into each other because uh, I plan on going to Florence. I'm really big into fashion. I'm going to take a train to see you in Luca. Cool. Nice. I'll let you, I'll let you know when we're there. Anyway, okay, good, good. thanks again for coming on, and we'll talk yeah, again soon. Talking with you. All right. Ciao. Okay. Bye. Ciao. 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 <laughs>